At One Hour Air Conditioning and Heating, our comfort specialist can handle any AC repair. Call 855-1-HOUR for $50 off your repair or visit OneHourAir.com. Always on time or you don't pay time. Terms and conditions may apply. Independently owned and operated, licensed in their respective state or county. What is up, hockey fans? This is the Golden Edge Podcast, the podcast where the Las Vegas Review Journal talks about off-season hockey. I am Ben Goetz, one of your Review Journal Golden Knights beat writers back from a uh, week of vacation and joined, as always, by my colleague, David Shane. Dave, how are you doing on this fine Wednesday? I'm good. It's been a nice summer. Uh, Golf game's coming around, and I don't think I've left the couch for like a week and a half, so, you know. Nice and relaxing, just the way we uh, way we drew it up. That's what the offseason is for, you know? But uh, things are starting to heat up a little bit. We have uh, the Seattle Kraken expansion draft uh, tonight. And, uh, you know, as we're recording this on a Wednesday morning, not a lot of mystery left as to uh, who will get taken because uh, most of the picks have gotten out already. But uh, it'll still be interesting to see what side deals have come up. But... We're not going to spend too much time talking about that. We're instead going to talk about some of the trades the Golden Knights made this past week, uh, right before the expansion draft protection lists were due. And they kind of took advantage of a couple teams trying to uh, firm up who they were and were not going to expose to Seattle. So we'll break down uh, all those moves. But first, I want to remind everyone that the Golden Edge podcast is sponsored by One Hour Heating and Air Conditioning. We are also presented by Blue Wire Podcast. Um, also, you guys can check out all our written work at ReviewJournal.com. That would be much appreciated. We, of course, have lots of stories and uh, coverage on all the moves that we're going to talk about and um, some other things in the future that we'll kind of preview here because there's going to be a lot of news coming out in the next couple of days. It's going to be a busy week for the Golden Knights. Also, if you guys could rate, review, subscribe, whatever you do podcast, please do to this one. We would very much appreciate it. Uh, all right, so let's get to the big ticket item uh, of this past week for the Golden Knights. And that is the fact that they made a fascinating, essentially one-for-one swap of uh, Cody Glass for Nolan Patrick. Uh, so what happened before the expansion draft protection list were due? So the Philadelphia Flyers uh, traded for defenseman Ryan Ellis from Nashville in exchange for uh, defenseman Philip Myers and center Nolan Patrick, who was then rerouted to the Knights in exchange for center Cody Glass. Uh, what makes this trade so interesting is basically a swap of uh, two young players who haven't gotten it going, and each team is betting a change of scenery is going to help their guy succeed. Uh, Patrick, as likely everyone knows by now, was the number two overall pick in the 2017 draft, the Knights first in the NHL and came from the Brandon Wheat Kings, who you might have heard of before. Uh, at the time, were largely coached, general managed, and owned by current Knights GM Kelly McCrimmon. Uh, Patrick had 61 points over his first 175 NHL game, but the 22-year-old just had nine points in 52 games last season, and we'll kind of get into some reasons why he has kind of struggled to find his footing in the NHL a little bit later. But like I said, he's still a very young guy. Uh, Glass, of course, as all Knights fans are probably very familiar with by now, went four picks later in the 2017 draft as one of the Knights' three first-round picks, all of whom at this point are no longer 
in the organization. They have all been traded away. Uh, Glass couldn't carve out a role for himself in his first two NHL seasons, and Coach Pete DeBoer kind of pretty heavily implied uh, in his exit interview session uh, with the media, you know, a couple weeks ago, that he wasn't happy with how things went with Glass this year. Um, we, of course, will also get into Glass's whole timeline later on the show as well, but that's just the broad overview of what happened. So, Dave, overall, you know, just what were your kind of initial thoughts? When you heard about this trade and the bets the Knights are kind of making that Nolan Patrick, they think, is going to, you know, potentially turn out better in the long run than Cody Glass. I mean, I guess somewhat surprised, but then at the same time, you know, we kind of heard about this possibility to come up, I think, at the previous trade deadline. I don't remember who had reported it as, you know, maybe even something that was happening in April or, you know. So once it goes through and you see, oh, they traded Cody Glass or Nolan Patrick, it's kind of like, oh, well. You know, we'd sort of heard that it wasn't, you know, wasn't like completely out of left field. I think my biggest takeaway, and and we're going to talk more about this, so I don't want to get like too in depth right right at this point of the conversation. But I think what jumped out to me the most is obviously Kelly McCrimmon has an affinity and and a relationship with Nolan Patrick that dates back to probably even before Nolan Patrick was born. To be quite honest, I mean, he played junior hockey with his dad. So he's been a part of this family for, but aside from all that and the relationship that Kelly McCrimmon has with Nolan Patrick is just how quickly and how much the Knights seem to sour on Cody Glass. That, that, regardless of what Kelly McCrimmon says and that it's not a failure on Cody Glass's part or anything like that, it, it's clearly that they didn't believe he was either going to get to his ceiling or that, I mean, what this really boils down to is they just feel Nolan Patrick was a better player and has a higher ceiling. I mean, he was the second overall pick that year. Glass is the sixth overall pick. Now, whether we should, you know, and the Knights should be going off of scouting reports and projections from four years ago, as opposed to where these players are now, I think is what you and I can can discuss here going forward. Yeah, totally. Because it's super interesting to look at where these players were uh, four years ago and where they you know are now. I actually rewatched uh, the NBCSN broadcast of the 2017 draft to kind of get back in the mindset of what it was like um, back then. So let's quick you know get into what Nolan Patrick was like. At that time, uh, he was considered a really well-rounded prospect coming out of junior. I mean, he was not obviously, you know, this kind of hype generational prospect like, you know, Connor McDavid or Austin Matthews. But he came close to checking about every box um, you could want in, you know, a young player outside of kind of maybe that, you know, absolutely special game-breaking talent that some, you know, number one overall picks has. Nico Heischer went number one. And that 2017 draft kind of is the same kind of deal to the New Jersey Devils where well-rounded guy, not, you know, a superstar level talent. But, you know, Patrick was considered smart, skated well, excellent pedigree because, as Dave mentioned, his father, who played with Kelly McCribbin in junior hockey, played in the NHL briefly. His uncle was a longtime NHL player. You know, Patrick was considered this guy is going to be a 200-foot player, you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, the thing that has held him back, uh, even leading into the draft, and now, of course, into his NHL career, has been injuries. And that's dating back to when he was a teenager. Uh, he broke his collarbone two separate times when he was 13 and 14, according to TSN. He had spartaneous surgery as a junior player. 
And then after a pretty promising, you know, first two NHL seasons where he did all right as a really young guy, he missed all of 2019-20 with a migraine disorder. Uh, He came back this year and implied early on he was shying away from contact a little bit because of his brain injury and all the time missed, uh, which obviously didn't help his game because, you know, he's kind of known as he's a bigger center. He can mix it up in front of the net. Uh, He's a 200-foot player, defends hard. Those were kind of hallmarks of his game. So if he loses a little bit of that edge, that really affects how he plays. Uh, So with all that history as a backdrop a little bit, Dave, you know, I guess we can go a little bit more in depth into the bet the Knights are kind of making here and, you know, the role that he could potentially carve out on this team. Well, I think the second part of the, the question is probably the easier one to answer as it stands right now. And obviously there's a whole lot of salary cap implications and we don't know what the final roster is going to look like and where, but, but clearly the Knights haven't made any sort of moves uh, to change their center depth other than this one. And, and you figure as it stands, Chandler Stevenson is still going to be that first line center. And William Carlson is probably still going to be the second line center, depending on how things are constructed. Maybe they flip flop. And right now you probably slot Nolan Patrick in as that third line center. Now, if he gets to his ceiling and he stays healthy and eventually he fulfills his promise, then yeah, maybe he's somebody that eventually, you know, works his way into the top six. Maybe he, you know, supplants Chandler Stevenson in a year or two. Maybe it gives him flexibility for, you know, a move down the line, well, all kinds of different things. But I think that's a projection for down the road. And I think that's probably the biggest, you know, maybe high risk, high reward element of all this. And, and really what grabs me and really what I think is, is so intriguing about this is that they would basically trade Cody Glass for a broken down version of Cody Glass. I mean, that's, sorry, like that's what Nolan Patrick has been. It's, it's terrible. It's a shame. Like he's a really good player. And, and here's the thing. He was maybe rushed his first year and still had a 30 point season as like a 19 year old fresh out of juniors and then back that up with another 30 point season. I mean, I think people in Philadelphia, you know, expected more, but then he loses the entire season because basically he gets hit in the back of the head with a puck in March. They don't handle what turns out to be a concussion correctly. He develops a migraine disorder uh, over the summer and then misses, you know, the entire season. He comes back last year and he's still kind of, you know, like you mentioned, a little bit tentative early. It's still in the back of his mind about, you know, his contact, it, it, you know, am I going to get another concussion? All those sorts of things. So when you look at Cody Glass and you look at where his ceiling could be, and we'll talk about this a little bit more, and, and how much room he still has to develop, and that you're basically giving up on him for somebody that you're rolling the dice is going to be healthy. I mean, he hasn't been healthy, like you said, since he's like 13 years old. So at some point with all of this, there's a major gamble here that the Knights are taking that Nolan Patrick is going to come good. And I think that to me is what really, really, really jumps out about all of this and it speaks to where they've projected Cody Glass, that they would be willing to give him up and maybe have him come good in a couple of years and turn into another Nick Suzuki situation for somebody who has got a major, major, major list of injuries in, in history with that. Yeah. So then we can transition a little bit. Cause you talked about that into the glass part of this equation. Um, first of all, we should mention, uh, obviously, so he is now going to be in Nashville and, uh, we wish him well, he was a guest on this podcast and people can go back and listen 
uh, to that episode and he dealt with our stupid questions really well. So <laughs> hope it works out for him. Um, on the ice, of course, uh, it just never seemed to come together for him. He was kind of obviously the first draft pick in franchise history. He held so much promise for the organization. They held on to him uh, despite the fact that they traded away. The other guys in his draft class, um, as Dave mentioned, Nick Suzuki went out in the Max Pacioretty deal. Eric Brandstrom went out in the Mark Stone trade and certainly the latter one. I think the Knights would do a hundred times out of a hundred. The former one, I think they are still probably pretty happy with how that turned out. But obviously Nick Suzuki played a very major role in eliminating them from the playoffs this year. But uh, Glass was the one that they stuck by and hope would really pan out in, you know, the top six center that, you know, most teams kind of hope they can get at the top of the draft, but it really never happened. Uh, there are a lot of excuses you can make for him. And, you know, people can check out the podcast interview we did with him because he was able, you know, over the course of a longer conversation to provide a lot of context of what he had gone through, you know, his early uh, time in his professional career. But just to recap a little bit, uh, his first NHL season in 2019-20, uh, he played a lot on the wing instead of his natural center position. And he definitely didn't look kind of physically ready to compete at the NHL level. Uh, then, of course, he suffered a knee injury that February that forced him to rehab pretty much the entire offseason while also trying to gain weight to better physically compete in the NHL. Um, he added a lot of that muscle, but he mentioned on the podcast with us that he lost a little bit of explosiveness when he did that. And that definitely showed you could see when he played up in the lineup with Mark Stone and Max Pacioretty, he just had a hard time kind of keeping up. Uh, he also said this year was an adjustment because he was on the third line and not playing as many minutes as he had in, you know, junior or the international level where he was used to being kind of, you know, an offensive driver and he had to learn to play a different role for this team. Um, that being said, as I mentioned, he still got looks on the first line this year. He can't say that he didn't get opportunities higher in the lineup. And frankly, those, you know, auditions didn't go that well. So as a result, he was sent down to the AHL late in the year, spent most of the end of the season there. And I think, you know, as David, the clearest sign that he had fallen out of favor with the organization was the fact that he even played a Silver Knights playoff game at T-Mobile Arena the day after appearing in Game 6 of the first round against the Minnesota Wild in Minnesota. So he plays a NHL playoff game, flies back to Las Vegas, and the next day is appearing in an AHL playoff game, which, you know, shows that they were willing to kind of burn him out a little bit, I guess, and they weren't uh, just, I feel like, totally sold or invested in him long-term at that point. Um, I guess, is there something you can pinpoint to why it didn't work out for the Knights in Glass, Dave? You know, where did this ultimately kind of turn sideways? Well, I think I go back to the famous George McPhee quote about how he'd rather overcook a prospect. And I think in hindsight, we can look back and say that they should have cooked Cody Glass a little longer, to be quite frankly, and to continue the, the analogy. Uh, you mentioned it. That first season, they sort of shoehorned him into the lineup just to get him in there. I don't know how much of that maybe was salary cap related, that they needed entry-level contracts. I'm sure that had something to do with it. But, you know, they, they jammed him in on the wing. You mentioned he didn't look comfortable, especially in breakouts, just 
receiving that first pass, knowing what to do with it, and then having the explosiveness after he gets rid of the puck to get back up into the play. It just wasn't really, you know, his natural spot. You could see that he had a lot of, you know, you could see his mind just turning. He was doing too much thinking and it wasn't, you know, reaction and it wasn't natural for him. And then obviously he gets hurt. You think about that whole year. What if he spent it in the AHL? You know, is that such a bad thing if he had spent that year in the AHL? Everybody wants the guy, you know, to, to, to be good early and 20 years old. And you look at, you know, well, this guy from his draft class is doing this and this guy from his draft class is doing that. But maybe Cody Glass is just on a different, longer runway, I guess, to use the hockey term, if he needs, you know, more development. And I think, you know, that's maybe what jumps out about all this is, is it just felt like he was maybe a little bit rushed to the NHL, despite what the the Knights claimed and, and said. And then on top of that is, and I, this, I want to go back to a little bit of what I, what I said earlier about, you know, just the trade in general. It feels like, and this is just my opinion, but it feels like maybe Cody Glass has a chance or, or is, you know, the odds are better that Cody Glass gets to his ceiling at this point then maybe Nolan Patrick does. And I think that's what's so curious about this trade is that there's so many more risks that it feels like acquiring somebody like Nolan Patrick than there does like Cody Glass. Cody Glass might take, you know, a couple of years. It might be until he's 24, you know, until he really clicks and he really gets in and he really makes, you know, a, an impact, a 50-point type season, you know, or something like that. But it feels like he's still on that upward path and you just wonder you know, about Nolan Patrick with all of this. I, I I do go back to, you mentioned it, that quote that Pete DeBoer had in his exit interview and, and seemed to kind of, you know, subtweet almost, you know, Cody, Cody Glass with talking about, you know, hey, we've given these young kids, you know, a chance on the first line power play and they just either didn't grab it, they weren't ready, you know, or maybe they'll be ready in September. And it, and it really did seem like he was kind of pointing the finger you know, without mentioning Cody Glass by name. And so I wonder, you know, how much did, did you know, maybe Pete DeVore's evaluation and all this factor in? How much did Pete DeVore say, you know, I just don't think he's going to get there. He's just, he just doesn't do it for me. I, how much is that in conjunction with what the scouts are seeing and, and everybody, you know, their thoughts and what's changed on Cody Glass? So it's hard to pinpoint one thing other than, I think they probably just needed to be more patient with him and give him more time to develop, quite frankly. At One Hour Air Conditioning and Heating, our comfort specialist can handle any AC repair. Call 855-1-HOUR for $50 off your repair or visit onehourair.com. Always on time, or you don't pay time. Terms and conditions may apply. Independently owned and operated, licensed in their respective state or county. I'm Jeff Gehrman, an investigative reporter with the Las Vegas Review-Journal. I'm your guide for season two of Mobbed Up, The Fight for Las Vegas. You're in with every gangster and hoodlum in the United States. I don't go for that, Mr. Kennedy. I don't go for that kind of action. I was on television accused of fronting for the mob. Subscribe to Mobbed Up, The Fight for Las Vegas, season two, today on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how he does in Nashville. I mean, as you pointed out, kind of Cody Glass is clearly adjusting to the fact that he wasn't going to be a top six center for the most part with the Knights because they had Chandler Stevenson and William Carlson in place and they're going 
for a Stanley Cup. So they didn't have kind of time, as you kind of alluded to, to kind of hold his hand in his development. They needed to win right now. And they probably needed a cheap guy like that to help, but they couldn't, you know, you can't serve both those masters and do everything that's ideal for a young top pick like that while also trying to win as many NHL games as possible. Whereas now Nashville seems like it's probably going to be in a place next year because they've traded away um, some guys that they're going to be probably not, you know, completely, you know, off the table bad, but they're going to be able to be a little bit more patient with him and give him probably an opportunity in their top six if they want to and give him a little bit more rope to be the offensive guy that he clearly thinks that he should be. We'll see if that ends up working out for him. But, you know, it's interesting that it obviously is not going to uh, with the Knights. And then the only other thing is just, uh, you know, looking back on the 2017 uh, draft for the Knights, as I mentioned, Cody Glass at six overall, Nick Suzuki at uh, 13th overall, Eric Brandstrom at uh, 15th overall. A lot of people, you know, had high hopes for that trio and thought they're going to be the future of the Golden Knights. Uh, now they're all gone. And it's interesting that, you know, as I mentioned, uh, Nick Suzuki goes and obviously there are a lot of fans rightly kind of decrying the fact that they lost Nick Suzuki, but he did leave for an all-star player in Max Pacioretty. Of course, Eric Branstrom gets shipped out for the team captain in Mark Stone. And Cody Glass is the one that ends up getting basically the lowest return, despite being uh, the highest pick of the three. So uh, as we kind of wrap up the glass portions conversation, Dave, just looking back at the uh, 2017 draft, I mean, did you ever imagine that uh, this was the set of outcomes that were going to play out when the Knights were on the draft floor in Chicago, kind of in control of that first round and, you know, Four years later, here we are. So admittedly, I didn't know a whole lot about the prospects going into it. But then after seeing them, you know, that development camp, you know, I was able to kind of formulate, you know, just some early opinions on them and and all that. I, I can say this for Nick Suzuki to be the best of the three this early, I did not see. And, and I guess maybe in hindsight, you know, if you're still making the Max Pacioretty trade, you know, you're not as reluctant if you're the Golden Knights to give up Cody Glass as they seemingly were. You know, maybe you hold on to Nick Suzuki and you give up Cody Glass and you're in a whole different, you know, spot if the development tracks are the same. You know, Nick Suzuki could clearly fit in on the third line and maybe even play up, you know, based on what he's shown in Montreal. And Eric Branstrom, even though it's taken a little bit, seems like he's finally starting to turn the corner a little bit in Ottawa. So, you know, it's just, I think what's interesting though, and, and, We've talked about this before, and it's something that that's always fascinated me is just kind of the science of scouting. And you look at Cody Glass, and I think all along he was somebody that was going to take longer. He was going to need more time to develop. He was a taller, thinner. I mean, his face, he was kind of this baby face kid. You, you knew all along his ceiling, and it was, you know, was was much further along than most of those players because his Physical development was going to take a little longer. Nick Suzuki got to, you know, his physical peak earlier. I think Eric Branson being a smaller guy, you know, maybe he's getting closer to his physical peak. And Cody Glass still has a ways to go with that. So it just shows you how hard it is and and that there's no, you know, exact science to, to picking, 
you know, which players are going to be the best players. I mean, heck, look at that draft. Nick, Nico Heischer and Nolan Patrick go one, two. And three, four, five is Miro Haskinen, Kale McCarr, and Elias Patterson. So, you know, not everybody got it right in that draft. No, definitely not. But obviously, uh, Colorado got it very, very right. And uh, certainly Vancouver and Dallas are pretty happy about those selections as well. Like I said, I actually went back and watched, you know, the first, you know, a little bit of the, you know, pre-draft broadcast and kind of the broadcast around the first couple picks and the night's picks yesterday that's available on YouTube. It's kind of just fascinating to uh, go back and watch what the perception was then and what it's turned into now. And obviously it's going to be endlessly fascinating how it plays out from here for both Nolan Patrick now with the Golden Knights and Cody Glass on the Nashville Predators. Uh, Real quick, we should also mention that that was not the only move the Knights ended up making before the expansion draft lists were due. Uh, They also sent a fourth round pick to the Rangers for 23 year old center uh, Brett Howden. He's a former first round pick, a late first round pick, but seven points in 42 games last year. He makes uh, $885,000 against the cap and is one year away from being an RFA. Um, Do we think that Howden is potentially just a cheaper kind of Tomas Nosek replacement as a fourth line center, Dave, or how is he going to fit into the team's, you know, roster puzzle heading into next season? No, I think that's probably the best way to phrase it, to be quite honest. That's, that's kind of how I thought of it is I don't know what this spells for Tomas Nosek's future. It doesn't seem to bode very well because like you mentioned, Brett Howden is a little bit cheaper. He's a little bit bigger, seems to play, you know, sort of a similar game. Uh, Tomas Nosek obviously had a good year last year and we don't know what that will cost you know, in free agency. And if the Knights are, you know, willing to maybe give him a little bit of a bump or if somebody else is going to come in and, you know, maybe give a little bit of term. So that might've been uh, what sort of this factors in. And obviously, you know, Nicholas Waugh is going to, you know, factor in into that third line, fourth line kind of, you know, mix as well. And depending on how all of this shakes out, but it does certainly seem, you know, long answer or short or short answer long that, that he's a, uh, a quick fix for, for Tomas Nosek's loss, if that's what happens. Yeah, we'll have to see what happens when free agency opened. But I just want to quick do the math here. If you add Patrick's qualifying offer, which is about a little over $900,000, and Howden's salary, the Knights have approximately $3.17 million in salary cap space remaining if you count Nick Holden on the active roster, which as of right now, since... Uh, he hasn't waived, and it's going to be a long time if he ends up getting waived again like he did this past season for salary cap purposes. I'm just going to throw that in there. Um, that's not a lot to play with, uh, especially considering that Alec Martinez is still a key you know, unrestricted free agent for this team. Uh, free agency opens a week from today as we're recording this at 9 a.m. Pacific time. Dave, what are you kind of expecting from the Knights the rest of the offseason here as they potentially continue to, you know, tweak and, you know, manipulate this roster to try to get over the hump and get that Stanley Cup? Well, we'll kind of see once the trade freeze ends at 10 a.m. Thursday uh, what the Knights do. Kelly McCrimmon, when he talked to us, you know, after the trades occurred on Saturday before the – the roster freeze went into effect. He sort of alluded to a lot of talk around the NHL and a lot of things seeming to be on the table. And that once everything sort of 
you know, got going again and activated again on Thursday, that a lot of those things were going to pick up and, and maybe even come through. And then, you know, that's also in conjunction with the draft that starts on Friday, the amateur draft. And that's always a time when big trades, big name trades, blockbuster moves, you know, tend to happen. So first off, I think we'll see, you know, what happens short term with the Knights, if there's anything, you know, Kelly McCrimmon was referring to that, you know, involves them, or if they're going to kind of just be on the outside watching, you know, with some of these big names move, you know, potentially a Jack Eichel, uh, you know, guys like that. From, But I, I do think, and in, in this is just the sense I've gotten, I've made several phone calls and just, you know, there, there's been a lot of radio silence, which, which I actually take as a good sign. Um, I think top of the to-do list is figuring out what to do with Alec Martinez and figuring out a way, can they afford him? What is he, you know, looking for? Uh, are they willing to give the term and the money, all that sort of stuff? Does it all match up? I, I think that's high on their list. I do think they want him back. I just don't know how they're going to be able to afford it. And if that means that a goalie moves, uh, if somebody like, you know, maybe they get creative and, and they move out, somebody like Braden McNabb and Ryan Reeves who are going into the final years, you know, of their contracts and they make up some money that way and, you know, try to fill in some entry level deals and, you know, those, those roster spots that way. Uh, there's some guys, I think, you know, waiting in the wings potentially, you know, in Henderson last year, even Peyton Krebs, uh, Jack Dugan, who, who could factor into all of this as well. And in, in terms of the roster for next year, Knights have never been shy, obviously, about making moves. I'm sure they're, you know, going to be aggressive. We've certainly heard, you know, from other people and, and a couple of people I've talked to specifically about how, you know, active they are, at least in, in testing the waters and dipping their toes, you know, in different deals and, and potentially different moves. So I don't think they can stand pat. I don't think they can just, you know, completely run it back with what they have. I don't think they want to lose Alec Martinez, but a lot can happen here in the next week before free agency starts. And, you know, we always hear from, you know, the hockey folks, how quote unquote fluid things are. And, and it definitely feels like that's the way, you know, it, the situation is right now. And, and we'll see how it shakes out here in the next seven days. Yeah. It'll be fascinating. As we talked about, it's going to be a really busy week for the Knights in the NHL. The Seattle expansion draft is tonight as we're recording this on Wednesday, on Thursday, the full NHL schedule comes out for the regular season. Uh, the Knights preseason schedule is already out. And you can check out that at reviewjournal.com. And as Dave mentioned, the draft is Friday and Saturday. Uh, as a reminder, the Knights have the 30th overall pick in the first round, though technically it's going to be the 29th overall selection because the 11th pick uh, belongs to Arizona, who have forfeited the pick as a punishment. It's very confusing. Um, but... The Knights also have the 36th pick, uh, so early in the second round, the fourth overall pick of the second round, uh, thanks to the Nikita Gusev deal with the New Jersey Devils. So two relatively early picks for the Knights that you can keep an eye on, and they also have a, a fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh round selection this year. So we'll see what they end up doing at the draft. We'll see what they end up doing in free agency. It'll be a fun week for hockey fans. Uh, and before we go, just a couple more things. A uh, shout out to Luke Prokop, uh, a national Nashville Predators prospect who uh, came out uh, this past week. It was really cool and inspiring 
to hear him do that and be willing to share his story. And then also uh, we have to say goodbye to another former podcast guest in Mike McKenna. He announced that he is leaving the uh, Golden Knights pre and post game shows. Uh, He also was involved in the Silver Knights broadcast. Um, But that's going to do it for this edition of the Golden Edge podcast. As a reminder, we are sponsored by One Hour Heating and Air Conditioning. We are also presented by Blue Wire. As a reminder, please check out all our written work at ReviewJournal.com. We'll have a lot this week. This is about to be probably the busiest week uh, of the offseason, and then things will calm down for quite a while after that. And if you guys could rate, review, subscribe, whatever you do podcast, please do to this one. Uh, I'm Ben Goats. He's Dave Shane. We are the Golden Edge Podcast, and we'll talk to you guys again real soon. One Hour Air Conditioning and Heating, our comfort specialist can handle any AC repair. Call 855-1-HOUR for $50 off your repair or visit OneHourAir.com. Always on time or you don't pay time. Terms and conditions may apply independently owned and operated, licensed in their respective state or county. I'm Jeff Gehrman, an investigative reporter with the Las Vegas Review-Journal. I'm your guide for season two of Mobbed Up, The Fight for Las Vegas. You're in with every gangster and hoodlum in the United States. I don't go for that, Mr. Kennedy. I don't go for that kind of action. I was on television accused of fronting for the mob. Subscribe to Mobbed Up, The Fight for Las Vegas, Season 2, today on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.